You're watching Global Trade This Week with Pete Mento and Doug Draper. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another wonderful edition of Global Trade This Week. I am Pete Mento, and with me, uh, almost as always, but um, never quite enough, is my good friend Doug Draper. And with him is, um, are we going to call this the AI version of Troy, Doug? Yeah, um, yeah, we could. It's more of a paper version. Troy's a little old school like that. But 2D? Yeah, we'll, 2D? What? The yeah. 2D? Two-dimensional? The 2D. Two-dimensional Troy? Two um, I, I'm coming to you uh, on location in beautiful Whippany, New Jersey. Uh, for those of you who don't know where Whippany is, neither do I. I followed the uh, navigation on my phone to get here. Um, I'm speaking at the PCSC, which is uh, part of the HDA. This is a pharmaceutical supply chain security conference. I'll be, uh, be talking a lot about economics and the state of economics tomorrow. Um, Doug, I think you're finally back. I, we've had a bunch of weeks where you weren't with us. You yeah. were in California. So are you back in Denver? I am back in Denver. And the, the funny thing, Pete, is that uh, I was in Fresno and you're in, in Whippany, New Jersey. So we go to top notch. Yeah, buddy. We're, we're like top shelf liquor. <laughs> <laughs> There's no downtown Hyatt, no downtown Chicago yeah. Hyatt for, for you and I. Well, it's like when people say, wow, you travel for work. It's so glamorous. And it's the one time I tell people, you know, I was in Paris or I was in London for work. It's not like when you say I was in Bentonville, like, no, you know, nothing wrong with Arkansas or or like I was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. There's a lot wrong with Tulsa, Oklahoma. Or um, you know, the the two weeks in a row I spend in, in in Gary, Indiana, or wherever, you know, auditing somebody in a windowless conference room. It's not so much the city. It's just the fact that usually I'm I'm kind of like hidden away in some dark space in a warehouse with 500 pages of customs entries, just basically looking down with a laptop. There's nothing glamorous hmm. about the travel that we usually do, buddy. So. Yeah, yeah. I, I will yeah. give a shout out to Fresno. So if anybody's listening and they're all pissed about Fresno is growing on me, you know, it's really close to a lot of cool stuff that I like to do. Um, so, you know, Fresno's not all that bad. And it's made a lot of uh, a lot of news lately with all the water, uh, snowpack and everything else. So, all right, I'll, I'll give uh, I'll give a shout out to Fresno. Not not as bad as I had perceived it to be when I started my new job. So Fresno, you're all right in my book. I usually find Doug. I just need one good like place to eat. I need a I need a good coffee place, and if if my hotel is clean, I'm all right. I'm all right. Yeah, that's about yeah. It. yeah. Da downtown downtown Clovis is where I'm staying, and there's this coffee joint. And I walked in there 6 a.m. because that's when they open, and it's it's like the the needle scratched against the record because I was obviously. Uh, from out of town, everybody yeah. there was local, and they just kind of turned around. I just sat at the counter, ate my food quickly, and left. But um, wow. great, great place. Great. I forget <laughs> the name of it. You're like the nicest guy. How could anybody not want you to be at their at their coffee place? Like I would it, be. Yeah. Well, I went in looking something like this. Collared shirts don't exist in that place. It's all farmers and boots. And so, uh, you know, who's this cop? What's this guy doing here? <laughs> <laughs> you're a country boy. Come on, they just, they just got to get to know you. Yeah. Well, any, anyway, so um, I, I, I kicked off, so you're going to receive. And we've yep. got some pretty good topics this week. So you, we do. you go ahead and, you go ahead and get us started, buddy. Awesome. Thanks. 
So um, last year, last week we talked about um, cars and uh, the state of the economy related to cars. So I'm going to keep that theme going this week, Pete, and talk about the uh, EV tax credit rules that are going to be changing middle of this month. I think it's like the 18th or 17th of of, uh, of April, and it's all related to the uh, Inflation Reduction Act back in 2022. And we've spoken about this as well. I can't remember how many shows ago, but it's it's basically the tax credits uh, for electric vehicles are going to go away unless the car manufacturer is sourcing critical minerals uh, and battery components from the U.S. or U.S. allies rather than China. Um, and that basically means in this day and age and right here and now, very few electric vehicles will remain eligible because the vast majority of them are sourced with uh, critical minerals uh, from China. The other piece is that, I think I get this right, is that any car that's over $55,000 in value or resale um, is, is exempt anyway. Um, regardless of where things are so uh, sourced, there's no, there's no tax credit. So um, the the, uh, the key thing here is, in my opinion, the word allies, right? And we spoke about this, and, and the U.S. does not have a whole lot of uh, critical minerals around, Pete. So we better create a whole lot of friends. Uh, Uncle Sam maybe needs to get out there and, and create some alliances that are defined as allies and find out where all the cool kids are hanging out. Uh, and the cool kids mean what countries have these critical minerals. So here, here's a, a couple of deals. So if you or our audience hears of uh, trade agreements that all of a sudden pop up with countries that you may not have even heard of or didn't realize that we cared a whole lot about, uh, you will shortly. So critical um, materials, graphite. Here's where that stuff is sourced. Mozambique, Tanzania, uh, Tanzania and Madagascar, right? You need some graphite and graphite flakes to make these batteries, right? So look for um, some um, some trade agreements there. Cobalt, the Democratic Republic of Congo is the world leader in um, mining cobalt. Not 100% sure what cobalt does, uh, cobalt does for batteries, but uh, it's important. Lithium, everybody knows lithium batteries. Australia, Chile, Argentina, uh, are all companies. Here's the kicker on this one, Pete, is that there's four companies in the world that um, control 60% of the global production of lithium. And shocker, a couple of those are primarily owned by Chinese businesses. Um, and then finally, nickel's a big one. Uh, Indonesia um, is the largest producer right after China. Um, so there's going to be a change in the consumer buying habit um, with the, um, the credits going away at the middle of this month. But more importantly, specific to our show and the title of our show, which is Global Trade, so I think you're going to see a lot of agreements come into play with um, African countries and positioning themselves. So um, when these uh, big automakers, when the big three start rolling in um, uh, and uh, start putting pressure on politicians to create favorable trade agreements. You're going to hear those countries quite a bit in the future. So it'll be interesting to see how all that shakes out. Got a lot to say on this one, bud. So, um, you know, first and foremost, a lot is being said about cobalt because of 
old friend of mine, uh, Mr. Joe Rogan, the um, greatest podcaster on planet Earth, apparently, had someone on recently who had written a book. I think it's called Blood Cobalt or Red Cobalt or something to that effect, discussing the abhorrent conditions in Africa and the Republic of Congo where cobalt is mined. Just how terrible, just absolutely mm -hmm. terrible it is in this, the slavery uh, conditions, the, the, the um, forced labor conditions that these people, unfortunately, are forced to live under in order to mine cobalt. And the, the ethical questions about the continued mining of cobalt in the People's Republic of, of, uh, of Congo. So a lot of eyeballs are on that currently. Where else can we find cobalt? Right here in America, Idaho, as a matter of fact, there are cobalt deposits. They're just not very big. And then beyond that, getting to cobalt right now in places where we know that it exists is actually difficult to do because we haven't been mining in those deposits in a ways that uh, could be safe. And we haven't really gotten to that, that level where they are. Some of those other things that you've talked about, Chile, as an example, the United States is on the precipice of a free trade agreement with Chile, yeah. working hard at that. Canada has a lot of these minerals. The United States has tons of them, but our environmental policies get in the way of us getting to many of these minerals. We mine for a lot of them, but are unable to retain them because of our mining standards. We actually allow them to wash away, or we don't retain them because of the heavy metals requirements of our mining. Uh, you think talk about Africa, much of the Belt and Road Initiative is focused on getting to these minerals. So China's already built the infrastructure to get to them. It's a really big question uh, of how we're going to deal with this in the EV world. And because of policies that are mostly focused on green alternative energy, we're not even thinking about what we're going to do in the interim. So allowing Americans to manage that interim in between using petroleum, of, of using the, the more standard gasoline diesel engines in the meantime, uh, it's, it's being curbed to the side as we begin to focus on adopting EVs. So this is a big problem, Doug. It's a very mm -hmm. big problem. And when we try to use taxes to get to it, I, I love this particular um, very recent issue. In Los Angeles, You know, if you had a home that was worth $5 million, to 9.99 million, there was an excise, there was a tax that was going to have to be paid, a transfer tax if you sold it after April 1st. And I believe it was an additional 3% if you sold it after April 1st. And then for 10 million, it was another 5.5% and above. So people were just trying to sell these houses and all these celebrities were trying to just get rid of these houses. And it's similar to these EVs where people were trying to sell them as quickly as they could in order to get that tax credit. You know, people were we're trying to buy them and sell them, and it was playing havoc with the cost of these EVs all over the country. So it's the same thing there, um, you know, where people realize what's going on. So they're waiting, you know, they're waiting for this to happen uh, mm -hmm. in order to clear inventory and to sell new ones. And it's like anything else, you know, capitalism is going to deal with this market more than trying to be altruistic. And I don't think we should be surprised by that. Doug. Yeah, it'll be interesting. You bring up a good point about harvesting or mining right it's all fine and dandy to get a, a trade agreement with congo but then you run into the conditions of the mines and and probably shocking to some individuals and how things are still operating out there it's scary uh, so that's an excellent point that i didn't touch on yeah i think um you know anybody who's people would be shocked to just take a minute and go on google and look at photographs of people in the turn of the 1900s all the way through the 1950s of black and white pictures of Americans and British people and, and people from the UK, you know, English, 
Welsh, Scottish, Irish coal miners, Hungarian coal miners, you know. Um, and then look at pictures of people who are mining now. Honestly, the pictures aren't that different, Doug. Mm -hmm. And the problems that people in West Virginia, people in Kentucky have of being in these very dangerous, scary, concerning places with regards to health, they've really not that changed. The dangers are all still there. It's a miserable way to make a living. And um, those mining conditions really haven't changed. They're just as dangerous. The technology has gotten better, but really it's a, it's a miserable, dangerous way to make a living, no matter where you are in the world. Yeah, so uh, yeah, sure. I think we should, we should keep that in mind. Yeah. All right. I'm uh, serving it over the net to you, my friend. Yeah. What's your first topic? So we've talked a couple of times about AI and about ChatGPT. And um, I have gone down many rabbit holes, Doug, looking into this. And what I've what I've gotten to learn is that people are making these connections, these these add-ons. Keenan is looking at his control right now, saying, "You idiots! <laughs> you don't you don't even know how to use the proper terminology." But um, there are these uh, these these additional pieces of of connections that people are making that go on a ChatGPT that will work on websites and will work with technology. Um, that every, they're working on everything from Orbits to Expedia. To regular pieces of applications that will deeply, deeply automate the process. And they're incredible. So an example of that would be you go onto Expedia and you it, it will take care of your, your search criteria for you. you. You give it certain information about what it is you want to do, how much you want to spend, mm -hmm. and it will automate the decision making for you. And then it will tell you, you know, while you're here, based on your likes and dislikes, how much you generally spend at dinner. There's a perfect restaurant for you while you're there. Like perfect for you and your spouse. You won't even argue about it. Like you and your wife can never decide where you want to have dinner. This is the one. Mm -hmm. And we'll, we'll make you a reservation. Here's the time you're there. We'll get your reservation at Wednesday. We know you guys usually like to eat at six. Here you go. Like, I mean, just automate the hell out of it for you. So I put on LinkedIn not long ago. Um, th this AI is, is a perfect platform to try to attempt something that seemed unattemptable, which is classifying many things in the harmonized tariff code, which is a very difficult logic exercise where customs has given us a number of criteria to get us to say six digits and hopefully to some points to 10. There's a lot of information, all of it written down to help you with this logic process. And lo and behold, what we're reading more and more about is it's doing it. It's getting us there. And then beyond that, now this AI is filling in the entry. And then it's finding ways to figure out how to call people in order to, you know, data-wise to do the pickup and setting appointments, contacting the driver, having the driver ready to pick up, detailing to the people in the warehouse when they should have that particular pallet ready. When you're picking it up and sending something to a warehouse, Rooting it, routing it in order to make sure it goes to the right airport for exports, getting its pallet position ready to go onto an aircraft, picking out which carrier it should go on in order for the proper cost, negotiating based on the, on the, the type of negotiating window based on Doug. I hate to say it, dude. The, the, it, it could, this, this could honestly, and I'm, I'm, I, God, this is going to kill me to say it, Doug. I think the rise, the rise of the machines. It could do it, man. I mean, we might be looking at a robotic overlords being able to take over a great deal of the decision-making involved in global freight forwarding. Mm 
I'm not saying it's going to, but I'm saying that software of this type could be used to vastly automate and hasten the decision-making process of global freight forwarding, and if properly supervised, could take the place of people in many instances for more of the mundane data-driven, data-entry parts of our job and could actually do some of the decision-making. What it won't be able to do yet is deal with it when things melt down. Maybe it could someday. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But this is terrifying to me, Doug. When it's, when it's making decisions better or at par with a customs house broker, that freaks me out, buddy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, it, it is a crazy time. And it's just kind of like the, the curve has just accelerated since like November, right? It's kind of when chat GPT started uh, getting, getting some attention. And you're right. A lot of these tasks are going to be automated and analyzing data to make the right decision. Um, whole hundred percent. And I think we're going to see that accelerate tremendously um, in, in the next year. The application into our industry um, or any specific industry, I think, will be unique and determine, um, uh, you know, industry by industry. The one thing that gives me uh, confidence, right? is there's still a heck of a lot of human interaction that needs to be done to keep things moving from A to B, right? Um, where is it positioned on the plane? What's the best routing? What's the best uh, classification? All that is legit and, and very valid. But when the you-know-what hits the fan and you need somebody uh, to, to fix a problem, um, a computer and an AI bot can only do so much. So I think our industry is uh, while pieces of it that you just described will definitely be taken over, um, I think that there's always going to be a need for somebody to be either yelled at on the other side of the phone or figure out how the hell do you get it off that plane and last minute get it on something else to, uh, to make the destination. Because somebody that needs it on the other end, whether it's a surgery, medical, they could give two shits about an AI bot. They just need it there. And that's where a human can come in and save the day. So I think you're right on some aspects of our industry, but from a general perspective, I think you and I are still safe, at least in our lifetime. I can't wait till there's two robots doing the show, Doug. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that, uh, that brings us to halftime brought to you by our great friends and sponsors at, uh, the cap logistics to learn more about our, our wonderful sponsors, go to caplogistics.com. We thank them as we always do for their unflinching support of our madness every week. And uh, we couldn't do it without them. So please do learn more about them at caplogistics.com. Uh, Doug, who's going first this week? Uh, I'll, I'll jump in. Mine, mine's pretty short and sweet, um, but I just saw a news article that said there is officially, I don't know if, when it goes from unofficial to official, but there is officially a tequila shortage in the United States of America. Do not panic. Do not panic. Uh, there's still tequila flowing. It's just a higher level. So basically, there's an agave shortage, Pete. And um, uh, I found out when I did a little research on this that agave plants take like nine, ten years, a decade to mature before they can be harvested. Um, and with climate change, uh, weather pattern changes, uh, and primarily... The fact that everybody likes to drink tequila now, it's kind of the, the cool drink, um, is uh, there's a huge shortage. So what's happening is that there's fillers 
and additives that uh, people are throwing in there to dilute uh, the consistency of the tequila or the potency or whatever. And then you're going to see a big chasm between top shelf tequilas and uh, the Cuervo Gold that you and I used to uh, dump into our um, our punch trash can punch when we were in college. So anyway, keep an eye out. Tequila prices are going up. There is a shortage. Please do not panic. We'll get through this. Power to the people. But it is important to be uh, to be aware, Pete. So tequila shortage, but don't freak out. Not a big tequila guy, Doug, except in margaritas. I do like margaritas. Mm-hmm. I don't really yeah. drink them that much anymore. Um, but like, like shooting tequila makes me wretch. I don't know what it is. Uh, I, I am, I'm, uh, as just about anybody who knows me knows, I'm a, I drink brown liquor. And I, I'm a big fan of, of trashy cowboy bourbon. You know, um, as, as much as I do like nice bourbon, I'm more often than not going to be found drinking real bourbon, the kind that men drank before it became trendy to drink bourbon. Yeah. Just, I think it's hysterical that what really was just gas station trash whiskey up until about 20 years ago is now suddenly hip. Yeah. You, you and your silly mustache, you go ahead and keep at it. Um, so I, I, I do, I do see though a lot of younger people swilling tequila and it makes me wonder who raised them. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Keep an eye out for that one. All yeah. right. I, I like your halftime because I have a personal experience with it in the last 48 hours. So, um, let oh, it rip. Cool. yeah. So, um, on Apple plus, there's a great new movie called Tetris. Did you see it yet, Doug? I saw it 24 hours ago, Wednesday. Wh- yeah. What is today? Monday. I saw Monday night or Sunday night, Sunday night. Sunday night. Yeah. I thought it was great. And I really liked it. I uh, thought it was great. And for, so there's a recommendation for everybody. I I did like playing Tetris when uh, when it came out. I'd uh, um, for me Tetris was was a college thing. So it, everybody in college seemed to have a Game Boy. And where I went to college as freshman, Game Boys were verboten. You were not yep. allowed to have one. Because I was a military, it was a military school, so we were only allowed to have a clock radio in our room, no television, no Game Boys, no anything. So you had to hide a Game Boy, and it was fun. It was fun to play. It was also nerve wracking. It was very difficult to do, um, but it wasn't my favorite game. But recommendation wise, everybody do watch the movie. It's fabulous. It's not what you think. It's fabulous, and there's a lot of really cool eighties. Um, what would you call it? Like nostalgia throughout it. It's a lot of fun. Uh, but anyway, so for me though, I was saying to my daughter the other day, we, we drove past the building where uh, the dream factory was in Manchester and the dream factory in Manchester was our arcade downtown. So I would go with my friend, Sean, and we would play arcade games where one of the greatest feelings on earth, Doug, was walking in with a $10 roll of quarters. I felt like Donald Trump walking into the Dream Factory with $10 worth of quarters. 40 quarters? Are you kidding me? That was that was a lot of game time back in the day, right? Um, I did have an Atari, so my 2600, so I did play games at home. I, I was not a PC gamer. I did not have a PC. Uh, but for me... Uh, my friend Sean and I would play Double Dragon, 
together. It was like, you know, a two player game where you, you go uh, kick some gangster ass. Um, we played quartet a lot. Um, but my favorite games that I would play by myself growing up, um, I loved battle zone, which was a tank game. You put your eye in there and you drove your tank around blowing crap up. I was a big fan of that. Um, I was also a monster fan of Asteroids, if you remember that, from back in the 70s and 80s. I loved Asteroids. But the two games I played the most were Dig Dug. I absolutely loved Dig Dug, and I was a huge fan of Donkey Kong. So those were my two big games I played all the time. And um, as I got older, I also was a massive fan of Hang On, the uh, motorcycle game. So those those were the... um, those are the big games I played in the arcade game, Doug. So when I say that to my daughter now, she looks at me like, what were you doing? What was this? You played games in the arcade? And I've taken her to arcades before. It's just not the same for her. But I don't know, Doug, you, you and I are, are pretty close in age. I think we're almost the same age. What were your arcade games that you would go and play back in the day? Yeah. So the two that come to mind is the sit-down version of Pac-Man and Mrs. Pac-Man, not the stand-up. It was at this, Absolutely. Um, it was a pizza joint. I can't remember the name of it, but you'd work it. And then you'd put your pizza on the side. The whole thing yeah. was like glass. And then yep. you're trying to play and eat. And the whole thing would just get all greased up. But it was Pac-Man and Mrs. Pac-Man. And then I think it was called Defender. Where, wow, Defender was awesome. Yeah, you, you just kind of went up and down and all this stuff came at you. And, and uh, yeah. so it was a little bit like Asteroids, but... Uh, Harder. The, the, the stand-up Defender game and the sit-down Pac-Man that was covered with greasy pizza. Yeah. Those were the two. I, and I, I don't see them that often anymore. You know, you don't like you don't see video games like you used to. The last video game I probably played played a lot was Mortal Kombat. I would see Mortal Kombat around, and I used to love I used to love playing that. But now you'll see like Buck Hunter with the gun. You'll see that around, and um, the golfing one, Golden Tee. You'll see that around, um, but that's about it, you know. So I'll go to Dave and Buster's with my daughter sometimes, and those games are all right, but it's just not the same. I, yeah. I just loved it when I was a teenager because I am a comic book reading, Dungeons and Dragon playing dork. I loved going to the arcade. Um, but yeah, my Atari, my Atari, I love my Atari games too. But it was nothing like going to the uh, going to the Dream Factory. Yeah, yeah, it was. So anyway, man. Hey, we're going to take your second topic and we're going to we're going to um, focus more on that one, because I just realized my second topic is similar to your first topic, which is all about AI. I was um, oh. talking about it. So mine was specific in my industry with with warehousing. Um, I think that there's the you know the robotics and the, the things that are, are coming around. So I'm not going to okay. go into the whole AI and all that kind of stuff. But what's going to happen, Pete, is is kind of what we saw in electric vehicles as far as commercial and driverless technology. That was hip and cool. And, God, it was like a flash in the pan, right? And, um, you know, like Nikola came out of nowhere. They had a mm-hmm. billion-dollar valuation, and they had made zero trucks, right? And then the guy got into trouble with the law and the whole bit, and I think he's in jail or going to be in jail or something like that. So I think my prediction is that there's going to be a similar explosion of uh, AI technology and investments, uh, acquisitions, and uh, and propping up some pretty cool technology. But we need to be careful of 
who are posers, so to speak, and, and who is going to come through? Because there's going to be companies that kind of have a product, kind of don't, but they can market the hell out of it. Somebody could buy them, you know, um, uh, unicorn the valuation, and then maybe fall back to earth. So it's coming. You spoke about it with data. I'm speaking about it with moving boxes through a warehouse. But the key point here is there's going to be investment. There's going to be some cool stuff coming out there, but be careful and be aware because uh, some of that is really not going to materialize. And I think we'll see some companies out there that uh, are a flash in the pan and may have some uh, some funny business behind them where there may be some, uh, I don't know, corruption, maybe it's too aggressive of a word. But just be uh, forewarned when you see everybody running to the to the well to try to get their take on on AI and robotics and moving product in a warehouse. I think that that's going to be uh, representative of all industry done with regards to robotics and AI. I don't care if it's if it's soft serve ice cream or sending rockets to the moon. Everyone is going to try to make a foray into it. They're going to try to get investment, make some money off of it, and then sell it into a bigger enterprise. And because logistics is so tied into everything, particularly e-commerce, there's going to be so much grift. It's going to be embarrassing. Yeah. And, and so many companies are, are looking right now to shave seconds off of what's happened. There's going to be opportunities for people to take a shot at it. Yeah. You know, I've, I still have my, um, I have a couple of MP3 players hanging around in my desk at home from companies like iRiver and, you know, that didn't make it. They didn't make it. They were perfectly good technology, but they didn't make it because. Apple came in there like the 500 ton gorilla and just stomped on their heads. Yeah. So great ideas. It just didn't make it, but their technology ended up in other things. So it'd be a lot of it. See, you weren't even going to do a topic and you just did, Doug. I know. I know. That's how good we are, Pete. We can just pivot. How good we can we are, bro. Yeah. We just kind of pivoted. So, but hey, yeah. the, your, your last topic touches every single person in the entire country. So Man. I think it's important to, to end with this. Dude, I got to pull it up because I didn't realize how big these numbers were. Like, I didn't think they were real. <laughs> so a couple of weeks ago, you talked about a possible UPS strike and FedEx, how FedEx was going out there saying, hey, listen, you might want to negotiate rates now. Get in now because if UPS goes on strike, don't come crying to me. You know, <laughs> you want to get in now because... The people that come to us now and work it out with us now, they're going to get special treatment. But if UPS goes on strike and you come to us then, you may be at the back of the queue. You know, I'm like, I, you know, we had a conversation about it, you know. Yeah. Um, so there's a couple of, of articles that came out between yesterday and today where um, Sean O'Brien, who apparently is the president of the Teamsters, was in Boston over the weekend just stir the pot, man. Like, just stir the pot. Like, you know, when COVID hit, you, we were essential. When COVID was around and everybody needed their stuff, um, you just, we had to be here for you. People were working 12, 16-hour days, seven days a week. We didn't get a raise. And when we asked for help, you guys said, listen, the world's in crisis. And you're under a contract. And we did what we had to do. Time to pay. 
<laughs> don't think that we're above striking, you know? And he's just like stirring it up. And 340,000 employees, Doug, mm. in the drivers and package. I had absolutely no idea there were that many people. And, and so he said, don't think that we're afraid to strike. Don't think that we're, you know, don't think that it, bo- it would bother us to strike. And then you start reading the article and people are like, we're, we're preparing as an organization to not work in order to get what we're owed based off of what happened to us during COVID, where we put our lives in danger, we put our families' lives in danger, and nobody cared about us or gave any consideration to us. Like, it's, when you read this, you're like, whoa, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, I had absolutely no idea, Doug, there were that many people that were that were engaged in this, first of all. And then second of all, you start to think about what FedEx said earlier with that, don't come crying to us looking for help because we gave you that chance. And now that half of the world's, well, a third, because let's, I know you hate counting them, but <laughs> postal service, when a third of the country's small package services are, are disrupted because of, of a labor negotiation, FedEx is going to be there like, well, are you on the list? Because you're not getting the club if you're not on the list. It's going to be insane, man. It's going to be insane. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. Nothing like a guy named Sean O'Brien stirring the pot in Boston, Massachusetts. Sean? Yeah. That's perfect. Yeah, that's perfect. I love it. When when you said that, I'm like, there couldn't have been. And I heard that um, he was playing, excuse me, Sympathy for the Devil from... um, From the stones to get to get the uh, audience, so it, it couldn't have been, you know, a better perspective. Um, the one thing on the uh, one specific thing that popped out of me is that the whole personal vehicle drivers, like when things were getting nutty and there were so many packages during COVID, they, you know, kind of like the Amazon model, just show up, throw a bunch of crap in your car, and just make some deliveries and keep it going. That's a big challenge because those are not union, um, yeah. and where, where do they? Where do they fit in the equation? Because it, it didn't go away. It's smaller than it used to be. But that's still kind of a, what do you do about this group over here? Because they're a necessary evil. But yeah, th- this will be fun. And you know what? A guy named Sean O'Brien who lives in Boston, there's going to be a lot of creative stuff going on. And uh, it, it will make headlines because there'll be some funny rallies, some funny comments, and they ain't backing down. That's not what uh, an Irishman from Boston does. So So look out. Think about the, the, the longshoreman situation right now. We're in April. And from what I've been reading, they're nowhere close to a decision. Mm-hmm. You think these guys are going to, I mean, they're going to be white knuckling it. They're holding on. They're going to make yeah. sure that this thing, they get what they want. So we could be in a situation where we're in negotiations for months on the small package deal where everyone's kind of worried about what happens next with UPS. Oh, we're still worried about a West Coast port strike. You have inflated rates on the East Coast with ocean freight. It could be ugly. It could be really, really ugly, man, with regards to labor and transportation in this country. And that could keep inflated rates on various types of transportation costs because of labor concerns. Yeah. This thing, this thing just doesn't end, man. Just yeah. doesn't end. It'll, it'll be interesting to see how it plays. Yeah. So I think that's it, buddy. You, you got to yeah. get back to business in Whippany, New Jersey. So, um, God bless Whippany. 
<laughs> Never underestimate the drawing power of the Garden State, my friend. That's right. That's right. Now, I won't even go. Anyway, we're, we're going to wrap this show up, but I got some Jersey talk because I was out there a couple weeks ago. But first and foremost, I want to thank Cap Logistics for giving us uh, the platform uh, to get out and basically talk about whatever we want to talk about, Pete. That's the beauty of the show. And, and I love doing it with you. And uh, I think our audience enjoys it. Um, and we really appreciate them listening. So caplogistics.com, take a list, uh, take a look at their website for uh, the services they support. Thank you for listening to the show. And Pete, thanks for coming and bringing the heat in Whippany, New Jersey. Thank you, buddy. We'll see you next week. All right. See you, everybody. See you, buddy. Thanks. Bye-bye.